Apple presents events at the Apple Store. All right, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guest moderator, Dana Harris. Hey there. So uh, last night was the opening night film of the Tribeca Film Festival, live from New York, and it's pretty extraordinary. It's a kind of no-holds-barred no look at the show we all know and love, Saturday Night Live. Forty years in, uh, tons of interviews with the cast members and incredible number of fantastic clips. I can't even imagine what the uh, curation process must have been like for that. But let's find out, shall we? So I want to introduce uh, the director and producers of the film, uh, Bao Muen, and producers J.L. Pomeroy and Tom Broker. Okay, so my first question is, how does this, you know, Lorne Michaels is not somebody who's just going to kind of, you know, give it up for, uh, for anybody to go in and, to, you know, look at what his, you know, empire is made of. How did this start? <laughs> oh, uh, well, I'm the costume designer for the show, and um, we were, uh, JL and I are friends and business partners, and uh, we had worked together on another project, and we were sort of chatting about what we thought might be good initiatives in conjunction with the 40th anniversary, and we fleshed out an idea, and JL ran with it, and then we had to go pitch to Lauren, and... Um, how, how did that go? Um, as all things Lauren, very quickly. Um, <laughs> well, I'm, I, I'm, I'm an insider, so JL probably can discuss it better than I can, because I'm used to uh, talking to Lauren about things. She's yeah. not. So. Yeah. What? Yeah. What is that like? I mean, he's kind. Of, he's been, you know, the subject of, you know, many, yeah. you know, invitations, and you know, people, you know, people who don't even, you know, who have never worked with him, kind of have an idea of what he's like. But what? It was, what was it like to go into that lion's yeah, den? Yeah, it's very surreal, as you can imagine, if if you are sitting in an office in that setting um, with somebody that you've admired for as long as I have. But you know, he's very gracious. He's very, um, he's very, uh, you know, straightforward. I would say. He loves his popcorn, so he was sitting in his office having a little bit of popcorn. And uh, he said, the things I like the most about this documentary are that every year you go back in footage, I look younger. And that you guys are saying, I don't have to do anything. I like this. So, you know, he was very kind and uh, gave us the green light. And, uh, and then we, they, uh, you know, he just, he, uh, he gave us creative freedom to take it from there. And he has a long relationship and a lot of trust with uh, Tom Broker. So... Um, one of the things that I think a lot of people who've worked with Lauren have said over the years is that he's very, um, he provides a lot of autonomy and creative freedom for people that he trusts on his team, which is why he's such a wonderful person to work for. And that was definitely the case with our documentary. He let us just take the ball and run with it and was quoted last night as saying that he saw it for the first time at Tribeca <laughs> and much to our delight, liked it. <laughs> so we're very happy about that. Uh, Tom, how long have you worked for him? Uh, I've worked for him about 21 years. Okay. So what? So what was your perspective in terms of going in? It's like what was your goal in terms of try, in terms of how to shape this film? Well, we spoke about it, and, and and for me, the idea initially was to because I had been there for so long. I'd been there for you know I've been there over twenty years. So I kind of was like, well, as an insider person, what do I want to see, and what do I what would I want to see? What do I want to show? Um, the world about a show that I've been working on for 20 years and, and it's a comedy show but to me it's so much more than a comedy show and I 
take comedy sort of in a very different kind of way. And I, I said earlier, I'm not a very comedic person. Um, <laughs> I'm a very serious comedian, uh, a very serious person when it comes to comedy. And so it sort of it sort of allows me to sort of look at it in a completely different way. And the idea was to look at it from more historical and how it really influences and is a reflector of our society we live in. And so, Bal, how did you come to the project? Well, I had worked with the uh, JL on a short film before and that um, I directed. And, you know, they told me, uh, Tom and JL told me about this certain approach that they wanted to take with SNL that was different from all the past documentaries that have been d done in the past. And so, as a fan of SNL growing up, I, this is an opportunity that I couldn't say no to. So, um, in terms of getting the, you know, you've got interviews with lots of uh, former cast members. How, what was that like? You know, is, that, is it a question of, you know, was it just you guys reaching out? Was Lauren making calls? You know, how did, you know, how did that work? <laughs> We're definitely laughing at that because, no, um, Lauren did not make calls. No, um. no, no, exactly. And I, I, every now and then we would, we would sort of go, is this the time we sort of use our Lauren card to sort of make the one time we kind of needed him to step in and sort of felt like we might be able to, like, yeah. wrangle yeah. someone like, Clinton or something to him to pick up the phone, but for the most part, we had amazing producers who Listen, this is the time when we give a shout out to our amazing one-man team talent producer, Miss Sarah Cowperthwaite in the audience over there, who literally single-handedly booked all 50 people for this documentary um, with really no, yeah. no help except for us saying, great job. Or like, so, yeah. get that person, get that person, yeah. what about that person? <laughs> why, is they not, why are they not people. answering yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so yeah. she had a really hard job, but that's, we were very fortunate. How much tenacity does that take? I mean, it's like in terms of, in, in terms of booking something like this. I mean, you have a project here that on the one, you know, has Lauren's blessing. Yeah. And obviously these people, you know, are, still have a lot, of, great deal of, you know, respect for him. But was it a question of like kind of having to batter down the door or there were just some people you just you batter down and just couldn't get anywhere? No, no, it's not like that. Again, because Sarah is a, an experienced talent producer, she has relationships with, with all of those people already. So she, um, she's, uh, she, I'm telling you, she's a one-man machine. She's like, a, <laughs> she's like a Navy SEAL team of one. She just goes in, <laughs> extracts the information, gets it done. I mean, she booked everybody in record time. One of the things that I think Bao would probably agree with more than any of us is that the greatest challenge we faced on this film is the speed in which it was made. Well, how, from, fa yeah, well, how fast was it? It was literally 10 months from the time that we started shooting until we actually finished it. So that's a really, really fast turnaround time for a feature length film, especially when you're going through 40 years of footage and compiling it into 82 minutes. So um, yeah, so, it was, that's, so to Sarah's credit, she was able to book people who are all extraordinarily successful, busy people and in a, in a very abbreviated time frame that worked for us. And then we are also juggling the fact that all of our New York based interviews were shot in Studio 8H, which is a tremendous honor. And I think added a lot to the documentary because the people that came in, it was like nostalgia, this sort of going home again, um, you know, wonderful feeling. And it created the, the, the energy and the vibe of the interviews. So again, <laughs> Sarah was also juggling that. When are you available to shoot on a studio, which by the way, is doing a show every week <laughs> and is a busy place. <laughs> but it, it, was, it was a lot of fun. And at the, in the end, I, would, I think we all would agree it's worth it, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. um, I want to uh, ask you some questions about the clip, so I f figured this would probably be a good time to show the clip. Maybe the trailer, okay. actually, because we neglected to yeah. do that before we oh came out. Oh my gosh, you're right. Yeah, so maybe we could, uh, totally forgot. Maybe we could run apologies. the trailer. Yeah. World debut here at Soho Apple. It's exciting. People used to go to New York to make it, to be something in the arts. 
Lorne Michaels was this strange Canadian come into town with this weird idea. We just happen to have the producer of the program, Mr. Lorne Michaels, with us. What should we look for on your program? It's one hell of a day in my neighborhood. It's lasted through the ups and downs of America and the world. He said it would be a cross between 60 Minutes and Monty Python. It was all anybody could really talk about. It was the dialogue of the year when it came on. It's important to remember, political comedy was essentially dead on American television. As the writers, you sit around and go like, what's true about this story that no one's saying? Man, it's cool, I'm gonna be president, that's wicked. Does it create a permanent stereotype that you gotta work to try to overcome? You're done right, it does. It's gotta be all about job creation. Bingo. It's America right now, whether you like it or not. <laughs> People expect us not to take issues. Oh! People like when something goes down, like, what are they gonna do on SNL? Stop being so gentle with that thing. Here, let me show you. Yeah. It's the only form where everyone is necessary till the end. We don't go on because we're ready. We go on because it's 11:30. Live from New York. Live from New York. Live from New York. So how, how does one go spelunking through 40 years of clips? How do, you know, it's like, how do you figure, you know, how do you even start that process without having an anxiety attack? <laughs> I mean... I don't know that we didn't. <laughs> I think I, I, we definitely had plenty of anxiety talks, like just thinking about who we're going to talk to, as you were saying, the clips that we're going to choose. But I mean, Jail and Tom, you know, had this concept that was very specific to finding how SNL reflected and impacted American culture and society over 40 years. So with that approach and thesis, it made the job a little easier, kind of seeing all these moments that, um, like, you know, Tina Fey as Sarah Palin is obviously one of those moments, or Daryl Hammond's impersonation of, um, of Al Gore. Um, and I think with that, we could we could really hone down who we wanted to talk to, too, because we weren't just talking to the most popular cast member of a certain era. We weren't talking to someone who had, um, you know, the most financial success after the show. So we weren't trying to find those insider, you know, gossipy, tell-all type of secrets that maybe, you know, Tom Shale's book talked about in, you know, in Live from New York in his book. Uh, so I think that was helpful, but again, it was kind of impossible task dealing with, you know, 40 years of cast, hosts, musical guests, and trying to condense it into an 82 minute film. But that was part of it too. We, we, each person had a specific role and we spoke to very specific people about very specific things. And so we kept having to go back to our thesis for that and made, making sure that what we were asking those people, hosts, critics, and all that sort of stuff, was specific to the thesis. You know, I mean, like Bob said, there are a lot of people who we chose not to yeah. um, engage or, or the interview because they didn't have anything to do with our thesis. You know, and very many people who are more famous than, you know, the show itself, Adam Sandler, Mike Myers, those people, but they didn't have anything to do with our thesis, so there was no reason to interview them. 
Yeah, that makes sense. So, what? How? How have you seen the film? Film? Have you? How have you seen the show evolve over your twenty-one years? Um, well, that was part of our thesis too. I mean, that <laughs> the the thing about the show is that it's been allowed to morph and change and and move with the times and and you know go from this sort of anti-establishment organization and and organism to something that is much more you know mainstream today and is more reflective of what's going on in the world with the internet and these sort of YouTube clips and the lonely uh, Andy Samberg and those Lonely Island guys and that sort of stuff and how the internet and YouTube has sort of influenced the show. And what, Val, um, what was the editing process like for this? I mean, I, th I think that would have to be a real challenge as well. I mean, again, you're dealing with 40 years and 40 years of anything trying to to edit it down to 82 minutes was quite tough and so we played around with different structures um, you know we played around with the linear structure just kind of telling the story throughout you know 70s 80s 90s to now but we found out that there's so many times where um, the topics that we were talking about like diversity racism they would come out come up in different parts of the film so it was kind of confusing because you were like oh didn't we already talk about racist racism um, so we found a way to kind of interweave the linear nature of of of, um, of SNL but also talk about these segments within like for instance like um, gender diversity we talked to Lorraine Newman and then we would talk to Julia Louis Dreyfus and then we talked to you know, Molly Shannon. So within those segments, it was, is, it was easier and I think kind of showed the contrast a lot more of how times have changed and how times haven't changed with some of these issues. Um, but yeah, sculpting the story, I mean, if there are any filmmakers in the group, um, you know that for documentary films, the films are made in the editing room. It's, it's hard to kind of sculpt that stuff without a script beforehand. Uh, so, you know, it's painstaking to say the least, but, you know, I owe a lot to, to the two editors of the film, Mari Kika Gonzalez and David Ossett. I think it's worth noting, too, that in addition to having 40 years of uh, footage to think about, we also had 130 plus hours of original footage that we shot <laughs> during the time that we were shooting and on set and, and our interviews. So that, that in itself right. is quite a beast. So 130 hours that was edited into what? I mean, like, is there obviously, like, what's the well, ratio of, what's the ratio? Less than 82 minutes. <laughs> well, no, but yeah, there's a, yeah. But, but there are a lot yeah. of clips in there too, so. Yeah, so that's that's kind of what I'm saying though, is that yeah. you take 130 plus hours of, of um, brand new footage that we're weaving in with existing clips, right? So. I don't know, maybe 40 minutes, 45 minutes, something like that. But yeah. it'd be hard to actually, I guess we could go back and look at that one of these days, but not, not a lot. So that, that's, again, a, a huge credit to our editors. I mean, we had, you know, 50 plus interviews and yeah. going, trying to figure out what part of those interviews to use or that's, again, a feat in itself. And um, so that's 50 hours of just people talking about stories about SNL. And uh, so we, and people wanted to talk about different things too, but we, we made, we tried to focus our interviews to talk about the, again, the thesis of the film, like how is SNL reflected American culture and not just getting um, kind of these, getting off the tangent in terms of, um, oh, this is how I built up this character. If it was a specific political character, it was interesting for us because, you know, seeing how Tina Fey came about, how the origin of Sarah Palin happened or um, how Will Ferrell thought uh, George W. Bush, his impersonation might have affected people's perception. Um, so in addition to all that archival, as you're saying, the interviews were a tough part to kind of comb through all.
Well, so uh, what, uh, what are some of the stories that you feel like you, you kind of hated to leave on the cutting room floor? What, 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 what darlings did you have to kill? I mean, there were so many funny stories that, you know, we couldn't stop laughing. Alec Baldwin was an amazing interview, and he had these incredibly funny stories, and, um, and it, they just didn't make sense in the film. So you, you have to really make those choices. Uh, hopefully, you know, we can, we'll make a... Find a new home for them. Exactly. You know, Who DVD wants to extra. see all 50 interviews in their full length? We might do an <laughs> interview series, right. for example. <laughs> you guys can be our focus group. Anybody in? Okay. Fantastic. Make a note of that, guys. Okay. <laughs> um, and in terms, um, one of the things I found most interesting about the film was the discussion around um, diversity and race. I and mean, it's like, was that, a, was that a difficult topic to get them, to get people to address? Because it was really, it's been a, you know, it's been a kind of a hot button for Saturday Night Live for ever, I think, you know, basically as long as it's been yeah. in existence. I mean, so. one of the main points of um, the film and one of the main sort of objectives that we had in making this film was to show examples of, uh, of important sort of staccato moments through this 40-year history in which Saturday Night Live is reflecting something that's very impactful in America. And clearly, racism is a huge factor in America. And what we ended up showing, which is both... It's, it's sad and disheartening, frankly, that from 1975 to 2015, we have really not made terribly much progress. So here we are showing a scenario in 1975 in which Garrett, Garrett Morris, as a black actor, is being told, you can't be credible as a doctor. So you gasp and say, oh, that's shocking, how awful, that was very 1975. Yet here we are in 2015, and while we're shooting the film, Ferguson is, is taking place, Staten Island is taking place. There's all these horrific things. One of the days we were shooting, there was you know, protests just after the verdict came in from Staten Island. So this is 2015. We haven't made a lot of progress in the racism discussion, and Saturday Night Live reflects what's happening in the country. So it's absolutely relevant. And we've made an analogy throughout this process that in a lot of ways, Saturday Night Live is like America's sports team because everybody has some vested interest in it because in some ways we see it as representing our country. So I think people get so upset and so emotional and so vested in whether or not there's a diverse representation on Saturday Night Live because it reflects how people perceive what's, what's, being, what's happening in the country. And so much more so, deal, yeah, you know? and much more so uh, than I think other shows. I think yeah. for some reason people have ownership of Saturday Night Live and feel a very kindred spirit to Saturday Night Live because everyone has grown up on Saturday Night Live. And, and so um, the idea of racism on the show and wanting to really reflect it and, and sort of be um, like, well, why don't you guys have a black person? Why don't you have a black person when other shows don't have black people? But those other shows weren't getting criticized. It's just that, you know, SNL is a linchpin for yeah. you know a lightning rod for for a lot of things. How have you seen the have you seen the show change much in its attitudes over the time? I mean, because you've been there for two decades, that's a long time. It's like, that is know, a long time. But it's like <laughs> but, but, it, but it's enough time to show like kind of an arc possibly in terms of maybe changes in attitudes. Have you seen any change in that? Well, time? I think I don't think that there ever was. You know, no one ever went. We're not going to hire. Right. You know, it, it, I yeah. have sat in on many of the auditions, um, and it is true they hire the best people at any given moment for the job, and and it's sort of a combination of seeing those people who audition and how they fit into the rest of the the makeup of the cast. I mean, one of the things Lauren always, always used to say is that 
part of the, you know, part of in hiring people is like, who do you want to run into in the hallway at four in the morning? You know, it, it, you have to have a comfort level and all that sort of stuff with the, the people involved. And, and, you know, maybe they just weren't going to the right places to find, you know, people of... You know, one of the things that we didn't actually have a chance to include in the film, but I found fascinating in the process of making it was speaking to Kenan Thompson, who said, you know, it's not just about um, whether or not we're recruiting somebody of color, it's whether or not we're recruiting people who are talented specifically in the genre of sketch comedy and improv comedy. And interestingly, there's a cultural um, component to that, and that if you go to improv houses, which is where Saturday Night Live has historically, for the entire 40 years of its existence, um, recruited their comedic talent, it's, it's very white. It's, um, it's just, it happens to be in those right. neighborhoods, that's the geography, and it's also a cultural component because most black comedians would come up doing stand-up. And stand-up is just a very different skill set. And so to Keenan's point, he was saying, I, personally, I don't have an issue with this because you need to recruit somebody that can be good on the show, that sure. knows how to um, bring a cast of characters, that knows how to, um, to work in this environment. And that brings up a whole other discussion in which we could have a completely uh, different documentary right. of all the talent that have come through that are huge comedians, hugely successful, that did not do well on Saturday Night Live. Because it's just a very specific skill set. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're not funny. It just means maybe you're not really into sketch comedy. But you're well, an amazing stand-up. So. And I think Leslie's yeah. a perfect example of that. Yeah. You know, I mean, she's in our film, and, well, and, and she's a yeah. stand-up, and she was hired as a stand-up. And it was also what that's really interesting is, like, the, the bit with Leslie, I mean, it's like that was, I guess that was something that happened as the as you guys were shooting when she did yep. yeah. what she did the yeah. we shot her that night yeah. yeah actually why don't you guys set that up for the audience in terms of what that was it was really it was really funny but it was very startling too so there's a sketch that leslie jones does um I not guess. even a sketch, actually. It's a weekend update. She's a weekend update. You know, she's the dating correspondent on weekend or dating uh, relationships expert on weekend update. And you know, it, if you, I'm guessing a lot of SNL fans out there know the sketch or sorry, weekend update um, okay. segment where she's just saying, you know, she would be the number one slave draft pick if if uh, you know she was still around during that time, and that got such um, backlash from the community that she didn't think would get a backlash from, which was the African-American community. She thought, you know, mostly the, the white audience of SNL would get really mad at it. But, you know, for her, it was just, she was just so happy to be up there. And, you know, it's the first time that a African-American woman has been at the weekend update desk. Um, and she was just kind of soaking the moment in, and that's what we wanted to capture, just, you know, seeing her in her moment, and then we, luckily, you know, there was all this backlash, and that really created this uh, theme that we were wanting to talk about. It's like, what is pushing the boundaries of comedy, and what can you say now that you couldn't have said back in 1975? Well, it, or vice versa. Right, and it was a piece for her that was born out of seeing um, what, there was a big article that week about black beauty, and sort of what you know, as a black woman, people find to be beautiful. And, and she was saying that, you know, there was a woman who everyone was saying, this is the most beautiful black woman ever. And she, Leslie is six foot one, and she doesn't look like this woman. And, and she was saying, well, why should I be held to that same standard? And so I, as a woman, should be able to say that I'm beautiful just because I am what I am. And so this thing, which was painful for her, she decided to show the world that this, you know, show pain through comedy. 
Yeah, and it's also important to note that this is a very personal story of hers and something that she wrote and she brought with her to Saturday Night Live. It wasn't something that they wrote for her. No. And that's but, another distinction I think that's really important is right. that these, these um, comedy writers are telling their own stories. So it's very firsthand. And, and this is a, a really strong example of that. Well, actually, and which brings to another point is about women. It's like, and, um, you know, Saturday Night Live's clearly come a long way in right. that regard in terms of how, you know, the women is kind of being adjuncts and then going into the world where Tina Fey's running the writer's room and has become a huge star in her own right. Right. Um, and in this case, too, Leslie wrote her own material. Yeah. Right. Um, talk a little bit about what that evolution has been like in terms of seeing how Saturday Night Live has adjusted that. Because traditionally, comedy writing tends to be a largely male-dominated mm -hmm. field. A white male. Yeah, a white <laughs> male and a white male dominated field yeah. at that. Yeah. So it's like, how has you know, how did that evolution? How 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 have you seen that evolution take place from based on your your observations and your interviews? Well, I think uh, I mean, we got so many different perspectives on things. Like, we talked to from the first cast. We talked to Lorraine Newman and Jane Curtin, and they had totally you know polar opposite experiences. So when we were kind of examining that issue, we we kept on getting contradictory statements. So we, we saw it as, okay, in the beginning, obviously it was a lot, there weren't many women writers on the show, but within the evolution of the show, it got much better. And that's, that's the only time it really changed, I thought, like you could see Tina Fey being head writer and that wouldn't exist back in, you know, Jane Curtin's days. But everyone, you know, experienced some form of uh, gender discrimination they felt on the show and they kept on, you know, Tina Fey says, you know, if it's 70% of the room is white male writers, that's what's going to come out. Um, so I think it's slowly evolving, maybe not as quickly as it should be, um, but maybe Tom could talk but, more about But this. I was going to say, once again, you're reflecting what's going on in the workplace. You know, I mean, that that's America, you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's what is truly happening around the world. I mean, I haven't been there you know, I've been there 20 years and have noticed the influx of female writers and, and you know, more women are going into comedy. You know, I mean, I think just last week there's some HBO show about funny women, you know, and I think more women are starting to go into comedy. So the opportunity to hire women in this field is greater as opposed to it gives you the opportunity for diversity as opposed to just going to Harvard and getting everyone who had ever worked on the National Lampoon. <laughs> right. Um, we have another clip, don't we? Yeah, let, let's, let's, uh, let's show the audience another clip from okay. the film. Sure. There's no ever saying the best cast ever wasn't the first cast because the first is always the best. You get the props no matter what because you created what it is. It really broke the mold in television. It really was important. That's why you still hear everyone at my parents' dinner parties talking about that first cast. <laughs> It was probably one of the places appointment TV started because in those days it's hard for many people to imagine, but if you wanted to watch a show, you had to be home. So what was the most, uh, which interview do you think was the most surprising of the ones that you got? What is the one? <laughs> hmm, I don't know that we were necessarily surprised by any. We were well, certainly entertained by many, but. Um, right, I, th uh, I, I mean, I, I guess. Did. I mean, I felt like the Bill O'Reilly thing was was uh, actually where did that fairly, come? That was, that, where uh, the hell did that come I, from? I feel like that was a that was a very surprising interview. I don't know. Again, um, I don't know if it was surprising as much as entertaining. Did well, we right, really I think, but he yeah, did. There was, was a lot of stuff he said that that 
Yes, is I think not we're, in our film. That's true. I I think there was a fu there was several funny things surrounding, if I may say, the Bill O'Reilly interview, and that well, was one of which was he was actually um, willing somebody to do that it? no, he was actually somebody that wanted to make this documentary and had previously proposed this to Lauren really? and was told no. Yeah. So I think there was a little bit of that that was amusing to They're us just, that we it, thought he loves it that much that he actually wanted to make the documentary. We should actually talk to him. That's number one. Number two, like the show is bipartisan, we wanted our film to be bipartisan as well. And so we felt like it was important to have a strong conservative voice to sort of balance some of the other people that we were speaking with. And um, through the brilliant cinematography of Bao and Caleb here, if uh, when you're watching that interview, there's a little shout out to a little red and blue lighting <laughs> that amuses me to no end every time I watch that interview. Um, but yeah, we, we, we thought he added something interesting to the mix. That makes sense. Like, I could, there, there was a slight bitter vibe that I got from him, and I was oh, like, yeah, yeah. "There was, right?" Yeah, yeah. Well, he we has like he has been on the show before. You know, yeah. I mean, he has he was a guest yeah. on the show as well. Yeah, um, he's a huge super fan. Right. He so, is, it, it's yeah. weird how yeah. you super think fan that. he is. Yeah. And so it was interesting just to hear him go off. You know, talking about <laughs> certain things that didn't make it into the film, but yeah. were so um, we're going to throw it to open to uh, the audience for questions. So when you talk about diversity and you talk about bipartisan, how did you, it must have been a struggle to find the balance because I, I always think of Saturday Night Live as sort of reflecting the kind of liberal New York voice. Uh, how did you manage to, what, what were the things you tried to do to strike the balance besides Bill O'Reilly? <laughs> That's it, just Bill O'Reilly. No, that was kidding. it. <laughs> I mean, there were like certain sketches or, you know, certain instances like, you know, we really spent some time with the Daryl Hammond impression of Al Gore, but at the same time we would do the Tina Fey impression of Sarah Palin. So you could see how it could negatively affect a Democratic candidate, yeah. but you can also see how it negatively affects a Republican candidate. I mean, there's so many instances of SNL over 40 years that you know, we couldn't do 50-50 exactly, but we tried our best to kind of show a, a point-counterpoint to what we were saying. And I also think one of the things that ties to that uh, goes past just the bipartisan um, component and, and is more about the point of view of the film, and that we really, we were not, as filmmakers, presenting a point of view. We tried really, I think, and I think we did, I think mm -hmm. we achieved it, of sharing the viewpoints of the people and their first-hand experiences. So a lot of times they would disagree with one another, and that was okay. You know, we showed both sides. There was some people, like, even with the feminism discussion right. we were just having, you know, where Lorraine's like, nope, I think it was absolutely just a meritocracy. If the sketch was funny, it went on. And then we cut to Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who was like, oh, it was absolutely sexist. So each person had their own perspective, and I, that's right. what we were trying to share. And similarly, with, you know, the bipartisan rule, some people see Saturday Night Live as, uh, as a liberal show simply because it's entertainment, it's in New York, and therefore it must be liberal, but it actually isn't. And, and Lauren says often that it's right. a bipartisan show, and I think they do a pretty good job of that. I mean, one of their best and brightest writers, Jim Downey, is a, yeah. a known conservative. Uh, so, yeah. you know, if you watch some of the, the recent sketches where they're skewering Obama, there's obviously, you know, it depends on who's in power. I mean, yeah. I think that's with any right. type of comedy show, you know, what's funny about any given yeah. politician. So that's what we just wanted to show. Well, and that's what, that's... Going back to the show, that's really what the show's about. They truly want, it play, has to play as comedy. Um, and that's what they're after. Yeah. Right. Do you have a favorite sketch? Because I, I like uh, Bruce Brothers, uh, Coneheads, Mr. Billy Show, uh, Rosanna Rosanna Dana, then uh, <laughs> Wayne's World. Thank you so much. Okay, at least you got to the 
what, early 1990s. <laughs> <laughs> I think we see a certain era that you, t that you seem to relate to. I like that. <laughs> uh, I mean, for me, I grew up on the bad boys of SNL, the early 90s. You know, Chris Rock, <laughs> Chris Farley, David Spade, Adam Sandler. So I always remember the Gap Girls sketch where they're all, you know, it's Chris Farley, um, David Spade, Adam Sandler dressed up as female Gap employees, and they're just like, you know, whining <laughs> about their, their mall jobs. And even if I've seen it like a million times, there's like a sense of nostalgia when you watch it. It's like having that childhood dish that your mom cooked for you when you were little, <laughs> in a way. I think I'm sticking with Bows. I like yeah. that. How could you top the Gap Girls? Uh, I would say all of them. Yeah. I mean, they're my, they're my babies. So the, every single one of them are my favorites. <laughs> Hi, I just had a question about your structure of your story. I mean, I thought it was amazing, but uh, if you ever moved the pieces around or if it flowed together <laughs> the way you guys told that story, because, and did you ever consider voiceover? Not that you needed it, but I, I know that's a thing. Did you, did you see the film? Yes. You did. Okay. I loved it, yeah. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. Uh, I mean, yeah, when you're dealing with so much material, I mean, we had index cards all over the editing room floor and trying to figure out where what fits with what and as I was saying before we tried the linear way and you know in a way that would have been a bit predictable because you would know what was coming next so you know you have the 2000 election and then okay 9-11 is going to happen next right so we wanted to kind of play with with structure and that it was unexpected um, and also make sure that you, each topic had its own chance to kind of shine within the film. Um, otherwise, it, it would have just been this total jumble of, of you know, smorgasbord of, of, um, of sketches, and we didn't want to do that. But in answer to your question, yes, things moved around a lot <laughs> until the very last day, I would say. <laughs> so, yeah, we tried a lot of different things, and this is what I think ended up playing the best for us. Next question. Uh, hi, thank you. You studied the show for 40 years. What are your predictions for the future? <laughs> Crystal well, ball, anybody? Uh, well, we didn't start the show, but... Um, no, um, studied. Studied. Studied the show, sorry. Um, you know, when, you're, when the show is so topical and has to come out every week, like SNL, it has to be up-to-date and relevant. And I think as long as SNL keeps on doing that, it's going to be around until current events stop happening or pop culture stops happening in a way, right? So, I mean, there's no way to answer that. Maybe, I mean, Tom working on the show for 20 years might have a better answer to that. Well, I think, um, you know, sort of as long as Lauren wants to do the show, also, I think as long as there's talent answer. out there, you know, I mean, there's new talent every day. You don't think there's going to be, but suddenly, you know, there's a new yeah, but it's, it's, I think this last weekend was a really great example of just a perfectly timely moment in which Kate McKinnon busted out this genius impersonation of Hillary Clinton. And, you know, 48 hours later, she's officially announcing her presidency, her run for presidency. So um, I think... Job to, security. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Job yeah, security yeah, times yeah, 10,000, yeah. right? Yeah, I personally, well, regardless of your politics, I keep her going just to yeah. see the impersonation because yeah, yeah, yeah. it's so hilarious. Yeah. So I think that's really, we're talking about it. And yeah. one of my favorite things to ask people when they you know, ask about the film is I say, how many times can you think of in your lifetime that have you said when something happens in the real world, whether it be super political or serious or just a pop culture moment, and you say, I cannot wait to see what Saturday Night Live is going to do with this on Saturday. I feel like that's ingrained in those of us who grew up watching Saturday Night Live. And 
let's be honest, as long as we're still here, <laughs> I right. think we're, we have the interest in digesting the show. I think it has a, a very good, strong chance of a good future, personally. Um, I'm going to ask a question. Tom, do you think the show could exist without Lauren? I mean, there, you, you, cover, you touch it briefly in the film, and there was a five-year um, you know, five period that was a you There know, was a, a five-year period of the, the dark, the dark years. Days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and that if he hadn't come back, the show wasn't going to exist anymore. Um, it, it would be interesting to see how I'm sure they would want the show to go on, NBC would want the show to go on, but whether it could, I'm sure on some level you could have that, but the person, there are big shoes to fill, um, and the person who would want to come in to fill those shoes, it would be, I think, a really um, hard thing to do. I think it would even go one step further to be that what, how facilitating and how supporting is Lauren of that choice? Well, right. In other words, yeah, if I mean, Lauren leaves and then he grooms somebody or right. helps that person and transitions them in, that's a very different thing right. than if he washes his hands of it. So it, the things that we've learned as outsiders coming in and, and shooting the show for the, the 10 weeks that we were there is that um, the complexities, the politics, the extraordinary high-level um, juggling that Lauren has to do on behalf of that show every single week are so tremendous that you couldn't just have a green person well, coming right. in That's there. That's what I was going to say. You know, like, it's, it's years and years yeah. and years, and he wields such power with the network and such power with, you know, the, the political components that he's battling that people have a respect for him, so the conversation starts in a different right. place. So if some poor new guy comes in, I can't even imagine. Well, he'd, he'd, he'd be eaten I, alive. I think the show would, would have yeah, to be exactly. really, recre yeah, really recreate itself. Yeah. yeah. Um, another question? Hi. My name is Lorna. The question I had was, um, SNL had such an impact on so many careers. Um, do you have the uh, thought to like, look at the most successful and try to get them involved in the documentary more than others? Or did you feel you covered everybody equally? I mean, I mean, that wasn't really our approach to the film. We weren't looking at who was the most successful post-SNL or who was the most successful within their era. It was, again, who are the people who were part of the sketches that really reflected America and impacted America. I mean, when you watch the film, or when you, if, if you watch the film and you see it, you're, some people might wonder, oh, why isn't Adam Sandler in it? Why isn't Eddie Murphy in it? But again, those stories didn't reflect what, we, what the story we wanted to tell about SNL. Yeah, I think, I think you'll see, um, for all of you that are hopefully going to see the movie immediately after this riveting Q&A, clearly, um, it is that it, it really truly is a mix of, of cast members and people from the outside, journalists and cultural experts, all commenting on Saturday Night Live from, an, from a bigger scale. And I think the one thing we would want you to take away from this you know, discussion is that when you go to see the film, it's looking at Saturday Night Live not just as a sketch comedy show, but rather it's this way in which America can be seen through a comedic lens. And so who told that story best? It's somebody that had something impactful that they represented on the show. And to Bao's point, that's how we selected the people that we spoke with, and that's how we selected the moments that, that we highlighted over those 40 years, since we certainly couldn't have covered a comprehensive history of 40 years in 82 minutes. It's really just these staccato moments in history that, that we really focused our energies on. So that, to me, is why this film is so special. 
Um, and uh, a credit to our director, Bao, here. It also has a lot of heart. You know, it, uh, it, it introduces you to some amazing craftspeople that make, show, make this show possible every single week. And it's an extraordinary accomplishment that they come in every Monday with a clean slate and have to make a new show from scratch and shoot it live. Um, and, uh, and that's something that you get to meet these people and get an idea of these people, some of whom have worked there for 40 years. So you get these little warm, fuzzy kind of character moments woven in with this higher level discussion and it just makes for a really fun, a fun 82 minutes, I think. I mean, obviously a little biased, but um, we, we think you'll enjoy it. Okay. Well, that's all the time we have. Uh, Bao, Jail, Tom, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks thank for everyone for coming. Thank you.